0: All right, Ben's not here, so I'll be taking over the job of preaching this morning. As Ben's gone, Tony and I will be doing a short series in 2 Timothy this week and next week. So this is a pretty sweet moment for me. Some of you that know me know that God saved me here a little over four years ago. And just a little over two years ago, I felt the call to preach or to teach. And since then, I've been searching the scriptures in myself to try to affirm or deny That calling. Talked with a lot of you about that. I've taught a few Sunday school classes, Wednesday night Bible studies, and men's group. I don't say that to brag about anything, but just to thank you for that opportunity to do so. I greatly appreciate every chance I get to open God's Word and proclaim the truths found in it. So, this is, in fact, my first sermon. I've written a few other ones, but this is the first time I've preached in front of people. So, this is something I don't take lightly. Lord willing, this won't be my last sermon. As I was thinking about what to say to begin the day, I was hit by that last thought, that it might be my last. I know that sounds kind of defeated and somber, but to the disciple of Christ, it's not. So I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost here and in everything I do. And I have to preach it not only here, but to myself daily and every time before I get up to teach or preach. And I think that's how every preacher should stand behind a pulpit and proclaim God's word, not just here, but every pulpit in the world with a sense of urgency and fear in their preaching, because we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. This book is the inspired Word of God to His people. It gives us life-saving information and instructions. It is our ultimate authority. So you've likely heard Ben say something about the sufficiency of Scripture or how the Bible is God's Word breathed out to him by various writers. This is absolutely true and foundational to the church. So my sermon title this morning is simply, Our Ultimate Authority. My text this morning is going to deal with those verses that tell us that very thing. And I think you'll see pretty clearly why we should make the Bible our ultimate authority. I'm reading from the ESV, and I'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 3, and my sermon's just going to be over verses 10 through 17. So before I read, I want to go ahead and pray. So bow your heads with me if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word to these people. And just to proclaim it as best as I can with you guiding me. I just pray that you would get me out of the way and that your word would be pronounced and that lives would be changed. just thank you again for this place and these people and the freedom we have to worship you and to gather and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, 2 Timothy 3, start at 1, read the whole chapter. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions." always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what's the big idea here in chapter 3? The first big thing is Paul's mission, the mission he's teaching Timothy in this epistle, which is the same mission that we have in every believer of Jesus Christ, is to make disciples. The second thing we see is to make disciples using the Word of God as our ultimate authority. So I wanted to read this whole chapter to give some context and show how much this Bible still relates to the world we live in today. So in this chapter, we see Paul giving instructions to Timothy, teaching him how to be a man of God and a faithful minister, warning him of evil people who are around him and preparing him so that he can continue on with his mission. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy from his second imprisonment in Rome. Likely, this might be his last letter before he died. Paul made sure to drive home specific aspects of being a missionary and continuing on in the mission of making disciples. So everyone has left Paul. Luke alone was with Paul in prison. So this is from a a Warren Wearsby commentary on this chapter. Paul's great concern was not for himself. It was for Timothy and the success of his gospel ministry. So what makes a successful gospel ministry? A successful gospel ministry is one that preaches or proclaims or shares the gospel of Jesus Christ as laid out in God's word, which we find in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 1 through 4. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul is more concerned with his mission continuing and the gospel being shared than his own life. We see that today in many missionaries around the world that go into these third world countries to share the gospel and make disciples and spread the gospel to the whole world here. So this is one of the pastoral epistles. In this chapter, chapter three, we see Paul give Timothy three instructions for him to continue on with the successful ministry. So one is to turn away from the false as seen in verses one through nine. Two is to follow those who are true as seen in verses 10 through 12. And three, to continue on In God's Word, verses 13 through 17. So Paul moves from pointing out false teachers and who to avoid in the first part of the chapter to reiterating what kind of person Timothy should be looking for to gain knowledge, and then where he has defined this knowledge. So starting with verse 10, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. The you here is meaning Timothy, Timothy's been around Paul and picked up on the things mentioned here. This is what a mentor does. He displays the things in his life that he's trying to teach to a student. Timothy was at Paul's side and knew these teachings well, the gospel being the foremost, as that is the only thing that can transform lives. So Paul's conduct, aim, and faith all rest in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. All these Christian virtues we see, faith, patience, love, steadfastness, or long-suffering— Timothy has seen from Paul. These good things will serve him well in the ministry as it will for us today. So where it says, he followed my teaching, some translations say doctrine. The Greek word for teaching and doctrine is used 11 times in First and Second Timothy. This highlights the importance of knowing sound doctrine. We find different levels of doctrines in the Bible. They're all important. They're all necessary. But the ones of first importance are the ones that carry a lot of weight, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, need to be the ones that are focused on more. So some of the other ones that are of first importance, we see the Bible being our ultimate authority. We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Now These are what we call the five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura is Scripture alone. Solus Christus is Christ alone. Sola Fide is faith alone. Sola Gratia is grace alone. And Soli Deo Gloria is glory to God alone. So all these things built the Protestant church in are things that we should teach today, that we do teach today. So as Paul is telling this to Timothy back then about their ministry, and the same thing can be said, and it's true today. Knowing the different doctrines we find in the Bible, and keeping them close to our hearts helps us minister to others. So these things he lists here are attributes a man should possess in order to win souls. Faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. As long as we're rooted in these things, and not just our own ambitions, we'll have the best chance of winning people over for God. And so this doesn't apply just to the minister or the preacher or teacher, but every follower of Jesus Christ. So we all need to hear this message. We all need to share the truths we find in the pages of the Bible with everyone we come into contact with. And we need to do it with conviction and a sense of urgency. Now in verse 11, he moves on from the good things to the bad things that will come. So back in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. My love and my steadfastness. Verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And so we see here Paul go on to talk about the persecutions, trials, and tribulations he's going to face, and that ultimately every Christian will face in sharing the Word of God. And so notice he doesn't neglect to mention the bad things that will come from preaching the gospel and trying to win souls for Christ. We're told several times throughout the Bible, we will be persecuted for our faith in Christ. And though it may not come from people in the world, know that the devil is behind all of it. From Acts 14, we see the details of the persecutions Paul faced at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And so uh, the context of Acts 14, Paul has performed miracles, and the people are celebrating Paul with sacrifices and offerings. They're celebrating Paul and not giving glory to God or praising God, which is what they should be doing. So in Acts 14, he goes on to say, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Then in verses 18 through 20, Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out to the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So we see there Paul suffered persecutions there, and he still went on with his ministry. He still continued on sharing the gospel, even though he was beaten and thrown out of town. And so that's what we as Christians must do today in times of persecutions. We need to press on in our work for the gospel. So verse 11 ends with, Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So it seems to me that Paul didn't have any doubt there when he said that, that the Lord was going to rescue him through whatever he would be put through from all his trials and tribulations. And when you know sound doctrine, when you know the Bible and you have it hidden in your heart, it's easier to face those persecutions. You will go through them differently than the world does. And so I do, I thank God every day for the things he rescued me from. If God hadn't changed my heart four years ago, I don't know where, who, or what I'd be today. And that's what I pray for all of you and everyone I come into contact with. I want to preach the gospel to the lost and dying world. I want to preach the gospel to myself, to my neighbors and everyone I meet. I want to see lives changed for the glory of God. And it's not by anything that you and I do, but the gospel that we preach, the truths that we share. This is why missions are so important. This is why I've been adamant about going on missions and doing anything I can to help, to serve. Like we had a day of service at the camp the Weir Baptist Camp, and we saw a lot of people there helping. We saw a lot of people doing what they could to help out, and it was a great day of service, and we got to fellowship with people that we didn't normally know and people from out of town, and, and so God is glorified through all of that. We also go to Beautiful Feet every year in Fort Worth, Texas, and we have a group that goes every year to minister to homeless population there. Every year we go there, lives are changed, and every year people go to feed and nourish their bodies. And then, of course, we feed them the Word of God to nourish their souls. And so Paul continues here talking about persecutions in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So a godly life means action. Sadly, most Christians today don't bring the Word of God in the conflict with the world. Sharing the truth means going. Going on missions, it means standing. Standing on the Word of God, the truth. The truth divides it rightly divides. It separates the wheat from the chaff. And so persecutions will come whenever you stand up for the truth, whenever you preach the truth. But Paul didn't say that Christians would be delivered from persecutions, but through persecutions. So look at the way he puts it. Indeed, he starts out with. So the word indeed originates from two words, in indeed, which mean in an act or in action. So our agreements matter, but our actions matter more. Our amens can be said with the greatest faith, but faith without works is dead. Our amens must translate into actions. Our actions are a statement of our obedience, our obedience to God. So when we are presented with the gift of persecutions, we should rejoice in knowing that the Lord delivers his people through them. It's a hard thing to do to rejoice in persecutions. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will eventually, if you're walking with Christ in a way that pleases God. You can profess to walk with Christ, but be an empty vessel, one that has nothing in his heart, But selfish ambitions. We see Jesus say in John fifteen nineteen, If you were of the world, the world would love you in its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So this world will hate you if you are a true disciple of Christ, because the world is opposed to the things of God. I see this last year I stood at an abortion clinic, sharing the Word of God and pleading for our preborn neighbors. You'll face a little persecution there, and a lot of filthy language. The first time I went to stay in the clinic in Kansas City, I witnessed the evil of the pro-abortion movement. In Wichita last year, a group of Satanists traveled from Kansas City to a conference that we had in Wichita to disturb our efforts to bring the Word of God into conflict with the city. We were met with opposition, but pressed on in our fight for equal protection because we knew the truth in God's Word. And so we see in 1 Peter 5, 8-9, it tells us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So firm in your faith. I want to read that again. Firm in your faith. This is strong language. This is is how we fight, by being firm in our faith, rooted in God. This verse should also serve as a reminder that we're not alone in our sufferings. We have brothers and sisters around us to help bear our burdens. And so Paul moves from persecutions to more warnings about evil people in verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Some translations use seduced in place of deceived. The bad people left to themselves will go on from bad to worse. Paul refers back to those bad people in verse 8 of this chapter. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Again, we see the need to have the word of God firmly implanted in our hearts and minds so we can better tell the difference between impostors and the truth-tellers. So God's Word shows us in Jeremiah 9.3 how these evil people act. They bend their tongues like a bow. Falsehood and not-truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. So we also see these false teachers back in verse 6 of chapter 2, of this chapter in 2 Timothy 3.6. For among them are those who creep into households, and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. So these evil men have only one objective, is deception. The false teachers we see a lot today are another group that we call wolves in sheep's clothing, only looking to pervert the truth and lead people away from God and ultimately to hell. And it's only going to get worse for Timothy and for us, but Paul goes on to give us more instruction. In verse 14 and 15, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So sacred writings, some translate that to the Holy Scriptures. But again, Timothy, he knows what's right in the sight of God. He's been taught this from a young age. We see it in 2 Timothy 1.5. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Now I am sure dwells in you. And so we see the importance of his teaching as he was growing up in the faith. We also see Paul pleading with Timothy to keep to these things that he's learned and firmly believed. Not just believed, but firmly believed. Whenever you firmly believe something is when your actions and motives start to change and when you're able to better stand for them. So he's been trained from a child in the Jewish traditions. In the Old Testament, and has continued his training with Paul in the New Covenant. So Timothy, as a child, likely recited these verses from Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9 frequently. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there's a funny story here about that last verse. When I first became a believer, I took that pretty literally. I wrote Bible verses on the white shelf we had in the kitchen, all over it. My wife was not too impressed with that, but luckily God granted her with a lot of patience. But this is why we should be teaching our children from a young age, because if we don't, someone else is. And if it's not us, it's going to be the world. It's going to be the godless generation that we live in, a world that's hostile to God. So back to verse 15, it says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So our kids need to be taught by their parents. You know, we need to lead Bible studies in our home. We need to acquaint them with the Bible. This is something that we should do regularly. It's something that we as fathers need to lead our families in in order to better prepare them for the trials and tribulations they will face in the world. As I said earlier, they're coming. Your children are going to be faced with these things, and likely already are. But the parents should be the main teachers. We should be the main ones leading Bible studies and and calling our kids to study the Word and hide the Word of God in their hearts. And this this is how Paul tells us we can stand. This is what we are to teach our kids with. In verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to read those verses again. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I found a quote from Wayne Grudem on this, where he says the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words of God, he intended to his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. So those verses 16 and 17 should be a very comforting verse to us as Christians. This book is breathed out by God, so we don't need to look for anything else to help us in our endeavors, to help us in our daily lives. So in this verse we see the Greek word theonostos, which literally translates to God-breathed. This is the only time it's used in the Bible when Paul tells us that Scripture is breathed out by God. And so I've got another proof text for the sufficiency of Scripture It goes along with this. this 2 Peter one sixteen through 16-21 For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to say, profitable for teaching. The same teaching is found in 1 Timothy 4.16. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So Paul here is restating this idea that of teaching being important to the discipling of believers. For proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, all these serve to help a minister or lay Christian in his or her work for the glory of God. So I talked a little bit about the five souls earlier. Verses 16 and 17 are where we see one of the five solas, sola scriptura, which means Scripture alone in Latin. So this is one of the five points that the Reformation was built on and most Protestant churches are built on. This also lends itself to another term called tota scriptura, which means all of Scripture. So all of Scripture is God-breathed, and Scripture is the only thing we need. It's all we need to save a lost and dying world, and it's the only thing we need to proclaim in the pulpit and in our ministries. It's the only thing we need to transform lives. This is a commentary from Matthew Henry. He says, The Scripture is the perfect rule of faith and practice and was designed for the man of God, the minister as well as the Christian, who is devoted to God, for it's profitable for doctrine. So like I said earlier, Scripture is for every person, not just preachers or teachers. It's for every man, woman, child here in the seats today, everybody wanting to make disciples for Christ. So again, the big idea in this text was Paul's mission. Paul's mission was to train Timothy to make disciples and also to make disciples using the Word of God as the ultimate authority. So Paul is passing his knowledge about that to Timothy so Timothy can continue on that mission, which is the Great Commission, which is laid out in Matthew 2818 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. and Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we stand firm on. This is what we stand firm on when we go on missions and we go to make disciples, even if it's just sharing the Bible with our neighbors or talking to them about going to church. So what application do I leave you with? To sum it up in one sentence, I would say this, is to make disciples using the word of God as your rock. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, it is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. So the Bible is the ultimate authority for our lives. Paul is laying out the framework for making disciples of Christ, using the Bible as the ultimate authority. He gives Timothy what he needs to be successful in the mission of making disciples. We also see here Paul leading by a good example. By Paul living his life governed by the Word of God, he becomes a living example. Disciples of Christ are to act a certain way. The old has passed away and the new has come. So the Bible is God's word breathed out to us. It's our ultimate authority. In it lies truths that will guide us through any situation on earth. The believer is in Christ is complete only when he or she rests on the finished work of Christ and puts all their faith in God and is inspired in their word. Salvation can only come through faith in Christ. We preach the gospel because that is the only thing that will change a lost person's life. Nothing that's mere mortals do in the act of evangelizing can save a lost soul. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. Thomas Watson writes, Ministers knock at the door of men's hearts. The Spirit comes with a key and opens the door. So we are just mere beggars trying to tell other beggars where we found bread. So I want to leave you with just one more verse, one that's probably familiar to some of you. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.